Good to have you here on this Friday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Glad you were with us. A lot to get to here on the show as we get ready for another big college football weekend. Uh, we also have baseball uh, coming up with the ALCS and the NLCS. We'll have that for you tonight with Boston and Houston. Braves and now Dodgers will play tomorrow night and on Sunday night uh, to start their series, Atlanta, with a home field advantage. And that we'll get to that here in just a little bit. We'll have John Lastinger, former Georgia quarterback, Coming on, we'll talk Georgia-Kentucky this weekend. Certainly the quarterback situation, where it could be Stetson, could be JT Daniels. No clear word on what would happen there. And David Waters from Gators Breakdown joins us uh, this hour. We'll talk Florida and LSU. Florida win pushes them to 5-2. and two. A LSU loss drops them to 3-4 and four and probably puts Ed Ogeron clearly on a big hot seat. They still have some of their biggest games left. Uh, in the SEC West to play uh, as well. You're probably talking about no bowl game at that point. So we got a lot to get to. Our picks sure to go wrong later in the final hours. We uh, pick some games coming up here in the college football weekend. But, fellas, the matchup is set. We talked yesterday. Do you want the Giants? Do you want the Dodgers? Well, doesn't matter what you want at this point. It's the Dodgers uh, that are coming to Atlanta to start this best of seven. Max Scherzer gets the save last night, eliminating the, uh, the Giants in – I guess, controversial fashion. You had a check swing, appealed down to first base. First base umpire uh, calls it a swinging strike, strike three in the series. What a way to end it, BJ and Ben. And, and again, I think a lot of people were were hacked off last night. If, if you weren't a Dodger fan saying, look, baseball, for all your, your faults, postseason baseball is great. There's drama in every pitch. There's drama close. And you're going to ring up an entire series on a close, on a maybe, and then you look at the replay and you're like, yeah, that probably wouldn't get called nine times out of ten in the regular season, much less to end a series. Tough way for the Giants to go out. Not saying they would have scored off Max Scherzer, but that's the beauty of baseball. You never know. Uh, One pitch, you look dominant. The next pitch, you hang it a little bit, and the game's over. So, you just never know, but the Braves get the Dodgers. Tough way for the Giants to have it in last night, uh, but we now know the postseason rolls to Atlanta. Yeah, I think that was clearly the wrong call at the end of the game there with the Dodgers and Giants, but it's it, it's Atlanta, it's L.A., and this is a daunting challenge. You are thrilled with the opportunity to be in the NLCS once again, and I think the Braves will be confident. They will take the field believing they are the better team, and they should feel that way. But when you look at recent history, at least from the standpoint of being a Braves fan, uh, the Dodgers eliminated Atlanta last season in 2018 and in 2013 in the postseason. And I think you look at some of the names. I mean, Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, Trey Turner, Albert Pujols, uh, Max Muncy, Chris Taylor, Walker Bueller, Max Scherzer, like you said, Kevin, who got the save last night. Uh, It's going to be a big challenge. But with that comes a big opportunity. And I do know there is a part of – uh, kind of every fan that follows the Braves that looks at this and goes, we want we want revenge. You know, we, we were there maybe earlier than expected in terms of the rebuild in 2018. L.A. was the better team. Last year, close down to the absolute wire. The Dodgers obviously advance on. I think Atlanta feels like the balance, the depth, the talent on this team is comparable to what L.A. has. Uh, you will have home field advantage now. And, guys, I don't know how big of a deal that is in baseball. But from a momentum standpoint, you're starting out at Truist. I'm excited. I'm a little nervous. But I think Saturday Saturday is going to be fun. Probably would have rather faced the Giants. 
but this is what it is, and you have to step up and embrace this challenge. Only, only, uh, only in baseball do you rather, you know, I, I rather face a team that had more wins than a team <clears throat> that just beat me. But I, I think BJ, I, I think you said, I think you said, you know, you leaving something out. We talk about the Braves and the Dodgers. No, if you are the Braves, you want to earn it. I mean, this Dodgers team has been good for a long time. I mean, I know Clayton Kershaw is out, but. When you talk about guys that having to earn it, Clayton Kershaw, what was he known for? Best regular season pitcher most have seen in the last 20 years. Couldn't get it done in the postseason. Couldn't get it done, couldn't get it done, couldn't get it done. Finally got it done last year. If you are the Braves, you want to say, hey, man, because, you know, it's going to come down to it, man. You want, who did you guys have to face? And those pesky Dodgers just won't go away. Now, Kevin, as you mentioned, who knows what would have happened if, I don't know, you know, first base ump can, you know, make the right call. Because this is the thing. I, I, I know I know I'll be harping on the umps a lot. It's hard to stomach when it's your team. Oh, I can deal with it when it's not my team, but what if it's yours? And human error is a part of life. But and, and like and like you said, Kevin, nine times out of ten, you don't call that. But dude, it's it's not just deciding a game, it's deciding a season. And you just hey man, that's it, he went, that game's over. I mean, so for me, I, I do I do think that when you think about this Braves team, earning it the hard way is what everybody has to do. I think I, I compare the Braves to like Philadelphia. Philadelphia went to what? Three or four straight NFC Championship games. They finally got over the hump. And who they have to play? New England. So it's almost like you know it's going to be tough, tough sled no matter what. But I do think this Braves team is built for it. You know what the Dodgers bring to the table. You know, you know, you you understand, you understand what that, you know, what that starting pitching, you know, is over there with the Dodgers. You understand that this team is top to bottom, really, 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 really solid. But the Braves, they listen, they win their way. They they go through free agency their way. They they gel really, really well. And I know we'll get to it down the line. They have a lot of, they have a lot of role players that accept their role. Freddie Freeman is the guy, but at the same time, you got a lot of guys that have emerged and say, "Look, man, I want you know whoever's at the plate, whoever's pitching, which you know that's one guy that we hope is not pitching when it's on the line, but unfortunately he gets paid to do it." <laughs> but Kevin, you know when you think about this Dodgers team, it's always what do the Braves got to do to beat the Dodgers? And for me, they got to beat themselves. Like if you try to. You try to come in with a total different strategy against the Dodgers, you will get exposed. So what you did got you to this point. I think you want to, you know, use that as your as your way moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think when you come and say, "What did we got to do to be?" I, I think that's the uh, you know the, the wrong thing to think about when you get in a series like that. Is what do we need to do to make ourselves play better? And, and again, sometimes. Just like football game plans, like basketball game plans, they look great until you have to go out there and execute them. Hey, make Max Scherzer work. Make uh, you know Walker Buehler work. Let's try to get him out of the game in the fifth inning because of pitch count. Okay, that works good in theory until he throws the first two down the middle for strikes and you're in an 0-2 hole. You can't really be patient at that point. So to me, if I'm Atlanta, I, I think you go up and play the style of baseball that got you to this point. Are you the winningest team? No, but you are a dangerous team. And I think that is something uh, that you can use to your advantage. Make the Dodgers pitch you carefully because there's not an easy out. I mean, not having Jorge Soler kind of hurts, but I think Jock Peterson, uh, the Dodgers are well familiar with him. He can be very dangerous. So I would say the strategy is act like you are a dangerous team because you are and make them pitch you accordingly. Make them play you accordingly. Uh, don't, Don't go up there and bail them out and say, we're just going to go up there because it's Max Scherzer. We got to try to ambush him on the first pitch, and then you know that all goes out the window. So I, I think if I'm Atlanta, uh, again, I, I kind of agree with you, Ben. From a machismo standpoint, you would say, "Look, I want to beat the best. I want to beat the Dodgers. I want a piece of them because they knocked me out last year." 
But from a reality standpoint, the Braves haven't won a World Series since 1995. I really don't care who they beat to have to get. You know what I'm saying? Look, if I got to beat the Marlins four out of seven to get me to the World Series, great. Let me beat the Marlins four out of seven. I don't care. At this point, you're arguing essentially over a team that won 107 games and 106. They're both awesome. Like, you're going to have to beat somebody. So I really don't. If somebody says, well, you only beat this team. I mean, sorry, that's how it laid out in front of me. I can only play who they put on the schedule. Uh, I would have rather played the Giants, but it's the Dodgers. Go earn it and, and go take it from them and get to the World Series. Yeah, and I think it starts with starting pitching. I mean, you look at you look at what Atlanta did against Milwaukee, and the Braves were absolutely dominant, not only with their starters, but bullpen as well. I think you had a 1-5-4 uh, ERA team-wide in the opening round of the playoffs. That is the best of any team uh, in the playoffs, and I think – I'm looking at Max Freed, Charlie Morton, Ian Anderson. I know Max Freed is going to start tomorrow night. Morton pushed back because he pitched on short rest. And uh, you would think, Kevin, that Max Freed, if you're going to win this series, might need to win a couple of games uh, for you. And he has been really cool under pressure. Uh, his, his composure and his consistency has been remarkable. And I think it has been the catalyst in a lot of ways for Atlanta's success. Uh, you go back to the start of the season, it was not a great – opening month for Max, and since that point, he's been about as good as anybody's been in all of baseball. So you guys know I think it comes down to starting pitching. That is especially true in the postseason, of course, with timely hitting. But I'm looking at Max Freed. I'm looking at Charlie Morton. I'm looking at Ian Anderson, all of whom have already had success in the playoffs, and I'm saying you guys are leading us forward. If we're going to win this NLCS, it's going to be because you guys set the tone I think they're capable of that, and I think they're ready for that type of pressure. I mean, I, I mean, BJ, you, you, you are winning me over with this, uh, with this starting pitching. But I go back to, I want to say, with the Kansas City Royals beat the Mets. The Mets came in with a better pitching staff, but the bats, and I understand you had some, the pressure kind of got to the Mets at the end. But those bats came alive. The one thing the Braves can do, they can mash. They, they can do that with the best of them. Now I understand, you know. You talk about this starting lineup for the, you know, for the Dodgers is going to be a little rough. But, but Kevin, you know, it's easy to compare things to me because I, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of postseason success uh, <laughs> when I was in the NFL. But I did make it my last year. Got to play the San Diego Chargers, right? San Diego barely beat us. The big, a big reason why they, they, they did beat us is because we panicked. Now we don't have the better team. That go Phillip Rivers. That go Sean Merriman. You know, that go Ladainian Tomlinson, and the list goes on and on. They had Phillip Rivers. We had Vince Young. Vince Young was in the second year. I want to say, uh. Uh, Phillip Rivers came to the league at the same time. Phillip Rivers in his fourth. They, they, they were at home. They go Arnold Schwarzenegger, they go Sylvester Stallone. They'll start studded on that sideline. Vince Young panicked in the game, and he admitted it after the game. Now, that takes a lot of courage to do, but the problem is, hey, look, man, you've got to find a way to put, keep those nerves intact. The Braves, just like the Dodgers, are usual suspects in the playoffs. Now, getting over that hump is going to be rough, but – the Braves almost did it last year, and and when they went up to Kevin, everybody, oh, oh my God, they the, the Dodgers just they just went lights out. The Braves got to be able to say, look, man, we got to be able to play from behind or with a lead. I mean, we got to have because we got to have a no matter what, we got to you know you know uh, understand that it's not going to be easy. But I just think that with this Braves team and the fact that they you know they coming in without you know Ronald Acuna, but he hasn't been there most of the year, they got good as a shot as any. Because like you said, Kevin, look, man, we ain't gonna make no excuse. Put them in front of us, like. We, we, we got to play who's in front of them. And unfortunately, if you're in the National League, if you can't beat the Dodgers, you can't win. 
Yeah, that's the way it's kind of been the last uh, handful of years, and the Braves are going to have to go out there and, you know, Rick Flair this thing. To, to be the man, you got to beat the man, and that's who's standing right in front of him uh, here going into. We'll talk more about that as we go throughout the show. We'll come back. John Lastinger, former Georgia quarterback, going to join us. We'll look at the quarterback situation this weekend as Georgia and Kentucky top 11 matchup in Athens this weekend set to take place. He'll join us next here on 3 and Out. Great to be here on this Friday, and John Lastinger is going to join us uh, right here on uh, 3 and Out, former Georgia quarterback as Georgia gets ready for uh, Kentucky coming up this weekend in Athens. Another huge game uh, there this weekend for the Georgia Bulldogs. And, uh, John, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on and joining us in uh, something that we've talked about kind of all season long. And I know uh, being a Georgia quarterback comes with its own pressures, but uh, Kirby Smarts, obviously, through due to injury concerns or what have you, had to play Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels. And Stetson Bennett, when he's been in there, has played pretty good. You're also the number one team in the country. How do you think Kirby approaches that uh, as this goes on with, look, there's a guy that obviously has a hot hand. We're the number one team in the country, and, and every game, at least for the next several weeks, is going to matter a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic to have, uh, but, it, but, it, but it's also a very fortunate dynamic to have, I guess, that you've got two I guess you, you know, quality quarterbacks. Um, you know, I, it, that's a good question, and I don't know that I know the answer. I mean, I do think it probably – I mean, you know, it's really going to come down to, to more of the team. And, and, you know, I think right now they have great respect for Stetson, and I think they also respect JT. And they're two completely different kids, two different, completely different personalities. But, you know, I think, I think Kirby's gauging it kind of on the team, and I think right now they, uh, you know, I, I think they're all on the same page. John, when you watch Stetson Bennett play, he's obviously done a really good job. What, what stands out to you? Well, I mean, I think he, he just he loves to compete. And I mean, and not and certainly not to say that JT Daniels doesn't love to compete. But, I mean, you know, I see Stetson obviously physically probably um, doesn't have the tools of others. But, you know, he's just a kid. You can tell that, I mean, I'd love to know how many seven-on-seven, seven, you know, competitions he's competed in from, from middle school on because he just seems to – he's really comfortable in the pocket, really comfortable throwing the football. Um, you know, uh, somebody talks about Stetson Bennett. You know, they're talking about genetics most of the time. Like, he's not a big guy. But at the same time, when you talk about what he did in, in high school football in Georgia and what he's meant to this Georgia program, not just in 2021, but in 2020, what are we going to remember the most about a guy like Stetson Bennett outside of the fact that he's just not a big guy? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't know that we that script's been completely written. But, I mean, you know, I, I just see – you know, it struck me, they interviewed him after the Auburn game, and he's just extremely personable young man and just, just really candid. I mean, and just talked about how much fun he had out there playing, you know. And that's, uh, I mean, I look back to some of my, my uh, rivalry games against people, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> sometimes I don't think back as them being quite as much fun as maybe they were. Even in games we won, you know, I'm like, well, I don't know that that was a lot of fun, but I'm sure glad we won, you know. John Lasker joining us here on 3 and Out. And, uh, and John, you uh, got, to, got to play the year after uh, Georgia won its national championship. Georgia now at number one. How does the team, you think, deal with the expectations since so much about 
Uh, Kirby coming in has been to chase that championship, chase that championship, and you've been number two, you've been number three, but you've never been that team at the top that everybody's now looking at. How do you think they handle that moment uh, as long as they sit at number one? Well, I think we'll find out, but I do think that, that you know, I mean, people are um, – I mean, this is why, you know, they, they – when we when when Kirby Smart was hired, I mean, I think this is where Georgia wanted to go, um, you know, and try to to take it to the next level because we we couldn't quite get there under Mark Rick. I mean, we we had some really good football teams, but we just never were really. I mean, seems it seems to be the the twenty twenty one word is elite, and I don't, you know, I mean, I don't still know if we're elite. I mean, I think we're we're doing some really good things, but got a long way to go and some 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 tremendous challenges ahead of us. Georgia's defense leads the nation in four or five different categories, number one in scoring defense and total defense. I mean, is this one of the best defenses you've seen? I know a lot of uh, pundits and analysts have said this is a generational group. Uh, how does this compare to some of the defenses you've seen or, or played against? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty old, so it would be kind of a pointless comparison to defenses I played against because it just uh, – game has changed so much i mean but i mean you know uh and it's been those i mean the offenses have, have, have changed so much and and the, the rules favor offense um and you know i mean there's still some some teams georgia's going to play florida tennessee even kentucky you know that, that are going to be able to you know they're going to scheme some things that are going to be you know uh, to be successful i mean you know, more and more film that they're going to watch on Georgia's tendencies as a defense. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 you're right. They have played phenomenally well up to this point. But I think, you know, the second half of the season is going to be more challenging just because of it's kind of like a major league baseball batter, you know, that, that you know, he goes around the league one time and he's hitting 350 and all of a sudden pitchers start studying tape, figuring out what he can't hit. And the next thing you know, his average drops to 275. I think, you know, I mean, as a Georgia fan, I hope that doesn't happen, but I, I kind of think you'll begin to see some, some offenses move the ball more against Georgia. But, you know, they just got a great players. Defensive front is stout. And I just think they're all on the same page. They love each other and they play hard. And, Jeff, coming into the season, you know, uh, you know, switching gears to that Georgia offense, I mean, obviously, you know, some injuries – They've been plagued by injuries, and you look at the fact that the situation with Stetson and JT, but it was so much talk about how big this passing game was going to be based off everybody was healthy. But when you look at Georgia now, they, they, they're not running the ball as efficiently as they had in the past, but aren't they still being led by the run and kind of opening up for the pass when need be? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I mean, that's still what they want to do, and they're uh, it's kind of a unique situation. I mean, they've got four or five running backs, so you – if you look at their situation, I mean, there's no running back that stands out. He's like, you know, on, on pace for a thousand yard season or anything. But you know, they've just had some injuries at the receiver position, and you know, trying to get some of them back. Um, you know, and so that's a concern. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I still think going forward, they, we, you know, we we still need more healthy, quality receivers, guys that can stretch the field. So, um, you know. Will we get George Pickens back? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows the question to that, but or the answer to that. But uh, and I did hear tomorrow they're going to have a couple guys that will probably be ready that haven't played in a couple games. So you know, we'll see. I mean, we're, I think we're good at tight end. Certainly, the McConkey freshman has uh, been a great surprise for him. 
But uh, I do think that's still something you got to keep your eye on if you're if you have concerns about Georgia. John Lastinger joining us here on Three and Out, and John, you got Kentucky coming in on Saturday, number eleven Kentucky. You don't say that often when you're talking about football. What kind of effort do you expect to see from a team that is playing up in in, in waters that they don't normally swim in when it comes to football? Well, you're exactly right. It's funny. I've got uh, got some Kentucky fans staying with me, and uh, actually more than a fan. He used to be the he was the head football trainer there for. Uh, he went. He went, He left Valdosta State and went up there when Hal Mummy took the job in 1997. So he's was that uh, almost 24 years. He's been and he's 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 moved up into the administrative role. But you know, yeah, they're 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 on cloud nine right now as far as you know what they've been able to do. I mean, I don't you know I don't know that they still believe they can get over the top and beat Georgia, but. Uh, but you know they're you know, obviously they're doing a lot of good things, and so uh, it's going to be an interesting game. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I scratch my head. I look at a line and think that it's twenty points or something, and I'm like, I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I think I think most people expect it to be a tight ball game. You're our guest here on Three and Out Dogs and Cats in Athens on Saturday. John, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, guys, appreciate y'all having me. Good luck to y'all. Appreciate it. John Lastinger joining us here on 3 Now, Georgia and Kentucky. Big showdown coming up in the SEC East this weekend. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here, 3 and Out on this Friday. Kevin B.J. and Ben. Big college football weekend upcoming uh, in the SEC as well. It's a big weekend every week, seemingly, in the SEC. And uh, Florida LSU this weekend, David Waters. Uh, Gators Breakdown joins us here on 3 and Out. David, welcome. How are you? I'm good, guys. Enjoying this uh, Friday and for early kickoff for the Gators tomorrow. Yeah, yeah and again, that's a weird part about uh, how this season has gone. Early kickoff. For LSU and Florida, who would have thought uh, that would be the case? But how do you feel about the uh, the Gators coming into this game? I know they've got uh, some eyes down the road towards Georgia, but certainly with two losses, can't be thinking about that. How do you see their kind of mentality heading into Death Valley this weekend? Yeah, you know, there has to be some sense of desperation here from the Gators. As you mentioned, two losses already. Two weeks ago, you lose to Kentucky. Uh, then you host Vanderbilt uh, last week. And, you know, a game that you pretty much just just had to get by. You know, uh, that Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt, but you needed to see Florida come out and do some good things, uh, bouncing back from that disappointing loss to Kentucky a couple weeks ago, uh, get the offense. You know, you look at the game, and Florida had a – they started the game off with a few drives on offense and defense looking really good, and they had a lull, and then Dan Mullen gets on them at, at, at halftime, and they go and have another few drives on both sides of the ball to really, you know, clamp down – uh, versus Vanderbilt last week there. So you're just not the focus you really wanted to see after Vanderbilt, but you somewhat, or after Kentucky, after that loss, but you somewhat got it, you know, a noon game versus Vanderbilt after that game versus Kentucky uh, there. So, you know, Florida definitely just needs to make sure they're ready to go play LSU tomorrow and not, uh, you know, looking like what they looked like versus Kentucky a couple weeks ago and also like they looked like versus LSU last year when they came into the swamp. David, you have two pretty good quarterbacks there in Gainesville with Emory Jones and uh, Anthony Richardson. Are we going to see both moving forward? Is it is is Emory clearly the guy, you know, barring something dramatic, or will you see even a modest rotation of sorts? Um, it, it's so hard to get a read on Dan Mullen now. He's going to do this, but 
I do think there will be that. You saw it in the first couple games. You saw it again last week as well. You didn't see it versus Kentucky, which was his first game back after he got injured with that hamstring. He didn't play versus Alabama. I'm talking about Anthony Richardson here. He didn't play versus Alabama. He didn't play versus Tennessee. Uh, wrinkled in a little bit versus Kentucky a couple weeks ago. But then he got that third drive of the game that he got versus FAU uh, in USF the first couple games. Uh, that was his first interception of the season, his very first uh, play uh, last week. Dan Mullen throws it back out there the next drive. Uh, needed some help from his teammates. Didn't get some good. Didn't get much blocking up front to help him out. Uh, a screen pass that should have been an easy first down. Instead, the wide receiver dances around and gets tackled for a loss. Uh, then a penalty the very next play, and then it's third and long, and he doesn't convert the third and long. So and maybe this week uh, going to, going to Baton Rouge, I think there is a role for him. Uh, he'll probably get that third drive. But right now, this is Emory's job. This is Emory, Emory Jones' job at quarterback. He's gotten better. From the earlier parts in the season, you see something every week that you can point to as a sign. Uh, a couple weeks ago, in that loss versus Kentucky, for whatever reason, just would not push the ball down the field. There were guys open down the field. There were guys wide open down the field. He either didn't trust his arm, didn't see him, didn't re- make the right read. Last week, you could tell it was a focus. You go and play Vanderbilt, and there's deep passes all over the field. Partly because you're playing Vanderbilt. Second of all, I think that was a focus coming up that coming off that Kentucky game uh, a couple weeks ago as well. So he's done a, he's thrown an interception in every game so far. He's got to calm that down. Emory Jones has got to take care of the ball, especially going on the road again uh, this week. You want to see how Florida reacts to being on the road. That eight false start penalties a couple weeks ago up front on that offensive line, and it doesn't matter who's quarterback. You know, going against LSU, this is a team that struggles stopping the run. Uh, but if you want to make the quarterback's job easier, Florida's going to have to continue that 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 trend of the uh, of being an offense that puts rushing yards on LSU. And even going to the other side of the ball, David, I mean, this defense of Florida has been playing well as of late. Obviously, when you think about the fact that, you know, against Tennessee and Kentucky, they weren't able to stop, you know, these screens, making open field tackles, but have been really, really good as a defense as a whole, regardless of, you know, who's out, you know, for injury right now. Talk about their defense and how well they've been playing. And, you know, obviously they got to, they got to stick to their stingy ways uh, going to Baton Rouge. Yeah, Ben, they just got to start better. That's really what it is for this Gator defense. And uh, I found the stat this morning. They're uh, the 82nd-ranked defense in the country in first quarter scoring against. They're giving up about almost a touchdown uh, for 6.3 points per first quarter. And then they're the third-best defense in the country in the second quarter. Uh, and, you know, and it's pretty average after that. They have got to find a way to get off the better starts. And that's been an M.O. of Todd Grantham. You go back to the Alabama game. You get they get up twenty one to three. You know you get uh, off to a better start. You may pull out and, and, and win that game. So it's just getting off to a better start for this defense. But being you're right overall, they're much better at defense than they were last year. The communication that was so lacking last year on the back end of that defense, you don't see that at all this year anymore. And then they, now you have Trey Dean and Rashad Torrance, the two safeties for Florida, coming off their best game versus Vanderbilt and. Yeah, yes, it's Vanderbilt, but there are some things I saw last week that you didn't necessarily see before. Trey Dean's aggressiveness. Uh, Rashad Torrance coming down and making tackles. Uh, he's happy he has 15 tackles on the game there for the Gators and, and being really aggressive. Now the Gators will get Kyrie Elam back. We'll get Kyrie Elam back this week, and you've been able to uh, get some young guys, a lot of experience, and Avery Helm and Jason Marshall while Kyrie Elam's been out. Those guys have really grown up a lot in the last couple of weeks, and now they'll play that second cornerback spot opposite Kyrie Elam. So I think the secondary is getting much better for Florida. Up front, they're pretty strong uh, with the, the, the transfers, Valentino and, and, and Newkirk and Gervin Dexter, the five-star from last year's true freshman class, is coming along nice. So 
Ben is just getting off to better starts. I don't know what happens uh, with Todd Grantham and, and preparation during the week where it takes a little while to adjust, and you hope it's not too little too late when you finally make that adjustment. So I like the piece that Florida has uh, up front and on the back end, and getting Kyrie Leland back is huge this week and going against. You know, if LSU is going to win this game, they're going to have to pass the ball all over the field. Getting Kyrie Leland back is important for Florida. David Waters, Gators Breakdown, joining us here on 3 and Out. And David, you mentioned this team going on the road, handling that environment. What do you expect to see there in, in LSU? Because they're a team that's beaten up, got a couple of DBs that are out, not going to play, a team that's not kind of lived up to the expectations. And a lot of talk this week that if Florida beats them and maybe beats them pretty handily, that that might be uh, the, the beginning of it for Ed Ogeron there in his tenure at LSU. Uh, besides that Ed Orzeron storyline, you sure you're not talking about last year's game? <laughs> exactly. This is exactly what we heard last year, this team coming into the swamp and then the upset in Florida. You know, they, they had some holdouts. They had some guys getting injured. Uh, and last year they roll into the swamp in, in, in a foggy game and walk out of there uh, with a victory. So, you know, Florida can't just feel comfortable because of, uh, of all the injuries and all the storylines following LSU. But it is true, you know. Uh, they lost Derek Stingley a couple weeks ago. Now Eli Ricks is out, another uh, defender there for LSU. And, uh, of course, you know, injuries just all over the place. And it's going to be on Max Johnson now, their, their quarterback. He got his first start of his career last year versus Florida in that victory uh, over the Gators. So you have to look at uh, – he's probably going to feel somewhat confident going against Florida again. But you know, it's, it's the early kickoff. Uh, you mentioned you know, it's not the big game it, it has been historically in recent years between Florida and LSU. So you get a 11 a.m. local, uh, noon kickoff, noon Eastern kickoff. LSU fans are probably slow arriving. So you're not going to get that you know, Death Valley crowd that can really make a huge difference in the game like those 3.30 night games that you get in Death Valley. But, you know, this is more about Florida right now for me just because of what they looked like two weeks ago at Kentucky. I mentioned the ace all-stars. 15 total penalties. They could not get the cadence down. They could not get the snap down. And you could tell Florida was young up front at center. And Emory Jones was making his first road start. They never adjusted to that. And, you know, the false start started in the first quarter, and they were there to the last drive of the game. So, you know, Florida's just got they, – they need to work on themselves more so this week as far as, you know, working on the cadence, getting the snap down, and acting like, uh, you know, you've been on the road before. You have. That was a raucous environment a couple weeks ago against Kentucky. Take those lessons learned from a couple weeks ago. Apply it to an LSU team right now. That is struggling. And if Florida does put it on LSU, I've had some guests on this week that uh, they would not be surprised if if it is a blowout some way, somehow, uh, tomorrow. That was one maybe giving his walking papers on Sunday. David, we're here at the halfway point. Uh, We'll start on the second half tomorrow, the college football season. What's the mood of Gator Nation right now? You know, that's a tricky one. They're still a little hurt from that Kentucky game a couple weeks ago. You know, the, the SEC East is all but slim chance, you know, slim chance to go win the SEC East now. You need a lot of help besides you doing your job uh, right now. And that includes beating Georgia in a couple weeks. And you know, the way Georgia looks right now, you know, not many people uh, are counting on that. You know, it looks like a you know, Kentucky-Georgia battle right now. We'll learn a lot more about that tomorrow. But everybody's just kind of – now, look, you know, nobody's surprised that Georgia's going to win the East. I mean, that was predicted by the SEC media. I predicted it. A lot of people predicted it. But, you know, you, you go and you, you play Alabama and you lose by two points, and maybe that win or close loss doesn't look as good now as it did 
a couple of weeks ago after Alabama loses to Texas A&M last week. But still, you know, you, you had a chance to win that game. So the crowd has got expectations up just to probably be a bit more than they really should have. And uh, I probably did a little bit too. Uh, and then to go to Kentucky and play like that and the you know, damn moment facing all the yards and all that stuff. And the Florida did some good things in that game. As I mentioned, all those penalties just added up for Florida. They shot themselves in the foot and, and walked out with a second loss of the season already. So you were looking at the first week of October, and all your goals were pretty going to be really hard to maintain. So now it's pretty much just trying to play spoiler uh, right now. Uh, you'll take you'll take if if, if the unthinkable happens and Georgia and Kentucky lose more games than they should, you'll take it. But right now, it's going out there in Jacksonville in a couple of weeks and, you know, trying to play spoiler just a little bit uh, with, uh, with Georgia coming up. And then by the end of the season, end of the season looking better than the way you started it. And, David, I mean, I know <clears throat> I know you kind of talked about it a little bit from the beginning, but, we, we, you know, we can't just uh, brush over the fact that this running game, Florida, <clears throat> the first three years under Dan Mullen, they, he wasn't allowed to run the ball in his contract. Talk about how, you know, they made a conscious effort to say, look, we're going to run the football, and they're doing it pretty well being top ten in the country right now doing it. Yeah, but, I mean, you got five weapons right there. You know, starting at the quarterback, you got Emory and AR, and Emory's running the ball pretty well. It's limited last week. You don't want to hurt your and run your quarterback a whole lot versus Vanderbilt, but you did see it a lot versus Alabama and Tennessee a couple weeks before that. That's did a really good job of limiting uh, his his uh, his. his his legs a bit and getting those yards added up. Uh, it made a big difference in that game, but it's going to be part of the offense. So you start there at quarterback, and then you've got this veteran, veteran running backs. And we've seen Ben, it be a different guy each week, whether it be Damian Pierce one week, Bleak Davis, or Naquan Wright, or maybe two guys in, 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 the, in the game as well uh, getting those yards. You've seen far to be able to choose a different running back each week to go with or, 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 or a pair of them just make plays. Uh, so you're looking for a continuation of that. You've only had one running back to get all the yards uh, pretty much the last couple of weeks or so. Uh, so you're looking for that second running back to get his numbers uh, too. And that's when Florida's offense has been at its best so far this year is multiple running backs getting the carries, getting the yards, and, and making the plays there. Then I still think they're missing that home run threat, you know, Put a baseball analogy to it. You got to you got some running backs that hit a lot of doubles and triples, but you're still looking for that home run uh, threat there. So maybe that comes around. Uh, but credit to this offensive line too. You know, we talked about it all off season. This is probably going to lend itself to offensive line coach John Hefty, uh to the way he coaches, the way he develops, and you know, this part of offensive line now built some depth. Been beat up a little bit. They've counted on some young guys, uh, but you, you do see an improvement up front, and that's where it starts. I, I've always liked these running backs. I've liked Emory Jones being able to be a running style quarterback, but it didn't matter because the offensive line was holding them back. Not so much this year. David Waters, Gators Breakdown, our guest here on Three and Out. David, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. David Waters joining us here. We heard him talk about that. Florida trying to go in not overconfident because, hey, they went in last year and didn't get it done uh, against uh, against LSU in a similar situation. But say, look, if Florida wins big this weekend, could that be it for Ed Ogeron come Sunday morning? I think you might get an inspired effort from LSU this weekend if people truly believe that that might be the case. Perhaps. I mean, this is a rivalry game, too. It's been a series that has been emotional over the years, but I do think LSU feels like they're, you know, they're backed up against the wall, and I think there's a chance they respond with a passionate effort, like you said. But, Ben, you made a great point about Florida's running game. Right now, Florida is third nationally in rushing offense, over 273 rushing yards per game. LSU is third to last nationally with 83.3 yards rushing per game. That may prove to be the difference right there. 
No, I, I was just going to say, at the end of the day, uh, BJ, you got to give Dan Mullen a lot of credit. I mean, a lot of criticism going at the end of last season, but he did make a concerted effort to get to the back to the run of the football and third in the nation. I think, I think, I think, uh, I think they uh, moved in the right direction. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out, including another early uh, Sunday morning NFL game that you may want to look at just because you can't turn away. We'll get to that when we come back. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Here on this Friday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben, you can get up. Have a little uh, breakfast on Sunday, and you can watch some magic happen from London. You can watch the Jags go for lucky 21. 21 will win you a blackjack in Vegas, BJ. 21 losses in a row if they don't beat the Dolphins on Sunday. And a lot of people saying, look, Urban Meyer, you took over a bad situation. You took over a tough roster. We get it. But you're 0-5, and you haven't necessarily shown a sign of getting the right what embrace the, grind. embrace the grind okay sorry well somebody needs to embrace it apparently they're not embracing it 21 in a row potentially bj <laughs> where were you at there with urban meyer if it gets to 21 without a dub i mean it should be a really exciting game on sunday morning between a team with zero wins and a team with one win so yeah the uh, storylines no I, jacksonville's just been you've said before Teams, organizations have to develop a culture of winning, have to understand what it takes to be successful. And Jacksonville is the ultimate example of the opposite of that. I mean, you are 20 losses in a row. Uh, I don't know what Miami's quarterback situation looks like. Maybe Jacoby Brissett. I know Tua Tungabailoa returned to practice this week, but I don't know if that means he can go or play for Miami. But uh, Jacksonville's just just got to avoid the – you know, the penalties, the turnovers, the mistakes, the stretches of 10 minutes where you just get blown out. I mean, Jacksonville, you go back a couple of weeks, they were winning, winning comfortably. You go get a sandwich, you come back, and they're down by by, by 10 points. Uh, find a way to protect a lead. Find a way to stay within reach. Right now, it doesn't seem like there's a lot, a lot of confidence. We know there's not a lot of experience. And when you combine all of those things, mistakes, you have what you have. So, Hoping for better, but I think right now you're look you're looking for baby steps. You're looking for modest improvement from Jacksonville. Well, BJ, I think you said there at the end. I mean, you just look you just looking to make strides. I mean, winning in the winning in the National Football League at a you know at a consistent level is one of the hardest things you're ever gonna do. Uh, being a professional athlete, and I think when you think about this uh, Jacksonville Jaguars team, they thought they were going to get their first win in Cincinnati with you know with it being the tw- you know the 2019 national championship all over again, and then it became about Urban Meyer, you know, after hours, and then now and now you know you got Tua that if he does, I mean, BJ, wouldn't it be fitting if uh, Trevor Lawrence gets his first NFL win? Against Tua, against Tua, when he made right. his debut against Tua in the national championship and outplayed him, but coming from a guy who went from four and twelve to five and eleven, I know how hard it is to win consistently in the National Football League. And when you're on, when you're in a division that no one cares about, with a franchise that not a lot of people care about, that kind of stuff flows onto the team. Trevor Lawrence seems to be a guy that he has proven to me one thing: he is not a front runner. He doesn't act like he's hurt when he's not. He goes out there every single series ready to go, and that resonates with the rest of the team because he had to deal with losing, just like Urban Meyer. They had to get used to not get used to uh, losing, but you had to learn how to deal with it because neither one have dealt with it. But, BJ, you know what they got on their side? London. Jacksonville, balls in London. Remember when Mercedes Lewis was in London, had three touchdowns? You know how many touchdowns he had on the season that year? Three. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, Jacksonville, think about this. A change of scenery is good. Now, 
They better they, they better be they better see what the hell their uh, owner is because he'd be over there making a deal trying to not leave London because he wants to be the first London NFL franchise. Not gonna happen, but I do think they got good a shot as any with a Miami team that's still trying to find his way. If you're ever gonna get a win, it's gonna have to be in London this weekend because that schedule only gets rougher. Yeah, believe BJ. <laughs> Hear that Jaguar roar all the way from London. One and sixteen is possible. Come on. You got it. It all starts with one, BJ. All starts with one. We'll come back. <laughs> hour three. Hour two next. Welcome back. Hour two here on Three and Out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Glad you're making us a part of your day. We'll look at Tennessee Ole Miss. Interesting game in the SEC that not a lot of people are talking about. you got Georgia, Kentucky, obviously. Florida, LSU, a uh, big one. Alabama, can they bounce back in uh, a big way against Mississippi State and kind of look like the Alabama of old that people think they will. But you got Tennessee and Ole Miss coming up this weekend. Lane Kiffin going back to Knoxville. Going to be an intriguing ball game. We'll get to that coming up here in just a little bit. But first, it's 4 o'clock. Let's take three here on 3 and Out. All right, fellas. Uh, NLCS starts tomorrow. Braves will host the Dodgers, who will be the single most important player for the Braves against the Dodgers. Kevin, I think it might be Ian Anderson. And, and, and here's why. You know, when I first looked at the question, I thought, okay, could it be Ozzy? Could it be Freddie? One of the, one of the you know, players in the lineup. But I think the Braves are so good offensively and so balanced that I don't think you necessarily need one guy to be on a complete tear, you know, at different times this season. It's been, it's been Ozzy. It's been Freddie. It's been Austin Riley. It's been Dansby Swanson. It's been Adam Duvall. Jock Peterson. You've had contributions from all over the field. So I think offensively and, 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 and even defensively, there's a shared responsibility. But correct me if I'm wrong, I think the way the rotation is lining up, Max Fried is pitching game one, Ian Anderson is pitching game two, and then Charlie Morton will pitch out west in LA. So if you stick by that rotation, I think the Braves may need Ian Anderson to win two games or give you a chance to win two games if you're going to win the series. And he's kind of the man in between a little bit in that you have you know, the young rising superstar and Max Fried and the veteran who's done it before and Charlie Morton. Well, to bridge those two guys, you need Ian Anderson to be really good. And he has been. For the most part, he's been exceptional as a young pitcher in the playoffs. But I think given that he's probably – going to get two starts in this series you're really going to need him to be big and kind of tie it all together with Freed and Morton so I will say Ian Anderson I mean BJ for everything you said listen and I, and I love what Ian Anderson doing and BJ once again that's outside of when you send your uh, apology letter to Alex Anthopoulos send it to uh, Ian Anderson as well Mr. they bringing they, they, they calling him up too early and this young man <clears throat> two years two years in the postseason but for me BJ it's got to be Freddie Free right from his presence <clears throat> What is it, war? Don't they call it war? His, uh, his defense, his bad, his glove, his consistency, his clutch, and momentum. The thing about Freddie Free is he means so much to this franchise because you expect Freddie to get it done. Everybody's surprised when Freddie doesn't have good plate appearances. Everybody's surprised when, when Freddie isn't clutch, you know what I'm saying, you know, at first base. And at the end of the day, some guys, you know, it's bigger than just what they do, you know, uh, you know, what they do individually. It's what they mean to the team collectively. I think it's got to be Freddie Free. I'm so happy that the last series ended the way it did because, once again, we talk about a guy who still hasn't got paid, still doesn't make waves, 
And Kevin, he might be the most unsung super superstar you've ever seen because he doesn't have a look at me, but he, he says look at me by the way he plays, not in what he says. So for me, BJ, it's got to be Freddie Free because he can he can he affects the game in so many ways. Man, I, can I go BJ Bennett here and give you two guys? Oh, oh, oh! And I, oh no, I was oh, saying, oh, and I was saying, no, I was saying this, and, and no, and BJ can yell at me. No, it's fine. And I'm gonna say two guys because of their role, and because because they're both, I think, equally important. I will say the most important two guys to the Braves in this series: Luke Jackson and Tyler Matzik. Why? Because they're the guys you lean on to get you to the back end of Will Smith. They're the guys you come, you, you go to and say, hey, we have a cluster of an inning working right now. We need you to get us out of it. So I think to to the Braves, the two most important guys this series, Luke Jackson and Tyler Matzik, in kind of the same role of you get us out of the tight spot and pitch the high leverage innings to hopefully get us to the ninth inning in good shape. All right, if you can I yell at me now. Two guys, if I would have said two guys, the whole <laughs> office, everybody working here would have run in here and melted down. Anytime I don't answer the way that, that, that you guys prefer me to answer, I get it right away. We don't even wait till the commercial break. People are coming in here, handing me notes, staring me down. I'm having to lip read. No, unacceptable. Oh, you have to pick one guy. I think no, that's a Jack, good No, because they do this to me every day. Jackson or Matzik. <laughs> No, no, listen, no, no. If, no. Now, if we ask a question and somebody goes, Tyler Matzik. No, no, if, 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 now, if Kevin goes, are we asking greatest or best? Then I start worrying. But no, BJ, I mean, Kevin is saying, look, Kevin is trying to do something different. You'll never Kevin, hear me say greatest or best. Kevin, listen, Kevin, you, listen, you don't listen, have to worry about that. Two things. If Kevin say greatest or best, or if Kevin say, well, that's, that's triple chocolate. Exactly. It's got, it's got to be. <laughs> triple chocolate doesn't exist. Anyways. All right, moving along. Take two. If. Let me say it again. If 6-0 Wake Forest were to go undefeated, would they be a lock for the playoff? Keep in mind, Wake Forest 6-0 for the first time since the 40s. I would like to say yes, but the more I think about it, it it's kind of hard to say yes, right? Because we've talked about this. I understand the college football playoff rankings are a new set of rankings that emerge later in the year, but where teams are in the AP and coaches poll are usually precursors within one or two spots of where they're going to be in the playoff rankings. And it just takes so much. I think I used the phrase the other day, uh, uh, what thought equity, when you watch these teams to move up from unranked to 23 to 18 to 17 to 15, that you almost feel like you're giving them too much to move them into the top five. Uh, I look at it like this. You can start playing the game of what if. Okay, well, what if Georgia goes undefeated, loses to Alabama in the SEC championship game? Is Wake Forest going to be ahead of one loss SEC champion Alabama? No. Is Wake Forest going to be ahead of one loss SEC runner-up Georgia? No. Would Wake Forest be ahead of a one loss Big Ten champion? No. Would Wake Forest be ahead of undefeated Oklahoma? No. Would Wake Forest be ahead of undefeated Cincinnati? Given that Cincinnati is number three right now? Probably not. And when you get to the end of the year, obviously Wake Forest can't help who they play, but when you get to the end of the year, I don't think Wake Forest, even if they go undefeated, will will, will, will have a win over a ranked team. Clemson is not ranked. Uh, we'll see what NC State does. They're there at 23-24. We'll see where they are at the end of the year. In the ACC title game, who knows who you'll play. You might have a, a win over a ranked team, but you might not have a top 20 win. 
I'd like to think it's as simple as go undefeated in a Power 5 conference, make the playoff, but I'm not so sure that's the case. I think no, it, it, it wouldn't be a lot. BJ, when you gotta when you gotta give that many explanations, you know the answer is no. I mean, it's a say it out loud theory, which is what we do every day. You know, a say it out loud. Most people don't even know what Wake Forest is. They couldn't tell you who their best player is. And a lot, a lot of a lot of what you end up at the end of the year is the type of narratives and the type of publicity or the type of, you know, attention you got during the year. They get zero. You're not gonna take a team that you haven't talked about at all. At all. And I will say this. If the Kevin Thomas theory, if they're in the college football playoff, chaos has 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 ensued. A lot of things have happened a lot. We're talking about a bunch of two, maybe three lost teams. Alabama done did something crazy. Georgia done fell off the mat. I mean, I'm just saying. it's, And that's what I mean about college football is just because you're in a big-time conference doesn't mean you're one of the teams that the world wants to see. Wake Forest, unfortunately, they're, they're good in a down year for the ACC. Yeah, we were good. Well, who was good? Well, North Carolina isn't good. Miami isn't good. Clemson isn't good. But we're good. So, who cares? So, no, they're not going to get in for the same reason why a Cincinnati will never get in. For the same reason why a Coastal Carolina never get in. See, people be thinking, well, I'm in the ACC. And if you're not a usual suspect, if you don't have a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback, if you haven't been in the discussion of the ACC championship game as of late, you're not going to get in. And that's the unfortunate part. So, no, they're not going to get in. And, unfortunately for them, there are superseding expectations. Yes, they're already bowl eligible. But outside of that, it wouldn't matter. Even if they go to the uh, ACC championship game, it's going to be, well, Wake Forest won ACC. It's going to be the Big Ten going to probably get two in. And, and the SEC will probably get two in. And maybe, maybe, BJ, they might be the reason why Cincinnati gets in if Wake Forest is freaking undefeated. Yeah, we got a message. Uh, yes, Steve, a kicklighter. Uh, Wake Forest is 6-0. and You have to you have to say, first time since the 40s. <laughs> yes, it doesn't, doesn't get said very often. But, no, I, look, the reality is if college football played by the same set of rules, 6-0 and would get you in. but it, Or 12-0 and would get you in, but it won't. And I can tell you, I don't even have to look at the schedule. They wouldn't get in because they're Wake Forest. The end, Wake Forest, 2,500, what, 3,000, 4,000 students uh, there. I think, Wake is, is Wake Forest the smallest Power 5 school in terms of enrollment? I think they might be. Yeah, yeah, maybe Power 5, yeah. Uh, so uh, so I, I, in terms of Power 5, I think they might be the smallest in terms of uh, enrollment, which means what? Good luck selling them tickets in the playoffs, right? I mean, and that's what it's all about. Tickets, TV, eyeballs. Wake Forest could be the best team college football ever created, and they're not getting in because they're Wake Forest. The, the end, and that's unfortunate. It shouldn't be like that, but that's the reality that uh, you live in, BJ. And, again, I think you would say, well, who would their best win be? And that's a fair point. I think you look at it, and I think we'll talk about it in the, uh, the picks a little bit later. The best team in the ACC right now might be Pitt, and they're not even in the top 25. And they, I think they only, they're only they 5-1, and one, if I'm remembering correctly. So, they lost to Western Michigan. Yeah, they had a bad loss, but they're 5-1 and one and have looked really good uh, most every other week. And they may be the best team in the ACC, and they're unranked. So uh, there you go, uh, as far as Wake Forest goes. Uh, take three. Supposedly, potentially, it, it's fall outside. Or as Christian has said, it's fake fall. Like you get those three days where you're like, Oh, man, it's kind of crisp. In South Georgia, that's really all you get. It's crisp, and then it goes back to 90 degrees again. But at what temperature do you actually get cold? Yeah, I mean, when it is in, like, the 
the even the low 80s or the high 70s you can breathe a little bit the upper 70 I mean I mean it feels it feels nice I like I like cooler weather um, but maybe maybe the mid 50s I start to feel okay this is a little unco- this is out of my element a little bit I mean when you're when you're from here you get accustomed to the 90s and the upper 80s I think when it gets into the mid to low 50s I start to look around and go yeah and then you you lived in New York and all over I mean I know you've dealt with real cold weather I'm just saying for me being from South Georgia from coastal Georgia when it gets into the mid 50s to low 50s I start to look around and go yeah I, I'm not used to this this isn't right when it gets into the 40s and 30s I'm walking outside with you know two jackets I'm wearing a you know I'm wearing a hat I mean I I, I can't handle that so I, probably probably low 50s is when, is when I start to feel it no, no, you start you start talking about you start talking about them thirties and forties, but then right here on the coast, that you know that that uh, that wind coming off that water, mm, mm, mm. I mean, you come outside, you be like, hey man, uh, meet us meet us over here by the water. You got to call, you get there. Oh, oh no, no, no. And it, it's what you said too, though, BJ. You get spoiled living here. I mean, we start saying, yeah, man. I mean, everybody else, how y'all doing in February? Oh man, it's about at sixty five, man. What y'all doing? Oh man, it's below freezing here. I mean. I'm just saying, it's like living living in coastal Georgia is like it's like living in like South Florida from a sense of you know you from South Florida and you you know you go to a you know you go to a school up north like you know uh, I don't know like a pit or somewhere you like dude they really have they oh they ain't wearing jackets for the fashion like well yeah well if you in coastal Georgia you know outside of these sand ads you got to deal with the cold like for a month out of the year people put on scarves and people bringing out long long coats people lose their minds i said sir it is 50 degrees like well sir you need i said why you got your i got on two long johns and it's not that serious but yes give me give me the give me give me them uh, them 40s with that wind chill that wind coming that wind coming off that water yeah it gets a little rough out there kevin yeah i would say that it depends on the proximity of to, to water and, and breeze if it's if it's wet and windy that's not a good combo you can get cold real quick but yeah i'm going to say it's got to be at least low 40s before you get really cold and i hate cold weather that's why i don't i don't live up north i can't handle it i would rather be hot and sweaty in october than cold no well you know pennsylvania the country's calling you christian that's all i can say <laughs> that's take three we do we do it uh, each and every day this time we got more to come we'll come back tennessee old miss under talked about game this week could it be a statement game for the vols we'll get to that next here on three Good to have you back three and out here on this Friday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Tennessee and Ole Miss this week. Lane Kiffin goes back to Knoxville. Be interesting to see kind of the reception he gets there. But an interesting uh, interesting question here is, will Tennessee kind of out Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin, and they want to go tempo, they want to spread the ball around uh, and move it around. What kind of game do you expect there Saturday in Knoxville? A lot of points. I mean, that's what all signs point to. Right now you have uh, Ole Miss leading the SEC in scoring in total offense. Tennessee, believe it or not, is third in both categories in scoring in total offense. Uh, Over their last two games alone, Tennessee has scored 107 points. Or excuse me, those were games against Missouri and South Carolina. Scored 107 total points. Ole Miss has scored at least 52 points three different times. So, I think you're going to see big plays. I think you're going to see basically a basketball game, a Big 12 game. 
The two quarterbacks are both very, very good. Matt Corral, who may be one of the Heisman frontrunners, and then Hendon Hooker, who's done a tremendous job taking over for the Vols. Going to be a great atmosphere. You have the checkerboard scene at Neyland. You have uh, Lane Kiffin coming back to Knoxville. I think this is going to be a really fun game on Saturday in the SEC. I mean, BJ, I mean, you're talking like you. I mean, you're giving, you're giving them Tennessee boys a lot of love right now. And this is the thing about Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss is good enough to beat anybody they play against, and they're good enough to lose to anybody they play against. I do know Tennessee is going to be playing inspired football. Lane Kiffin seems to be, you know, try, kind of getting back to himself a little bit more. Not not that not that reserved uh, PG, not trying to ruffle no feather. Come on, Lane. Like, you're going to get paid. It's fine. Like, give us some bulletin board. Material obviously Hendon Hooker uh, probably should have been the guy from the jump from uh, Tennessee BJ when you look at what he brings to the offense and look Tennessee since you know they've been playing some really really good football give them credit we didn't think they was gonna you know even be looking halfway decent at this point in the season I do think Ole Miss is gonna I, I know Ole Miss is gonna score points but Tennessee is a dangerous team because when the expectations are still a years away like you're still rebuilding this isn't supposed to be a year to where obviously they expect you to beat Vanderbilt obviously they expect you to win six games. But you're doing it in a very, very impressive fashion. I, Matt Corral, I mean, you could do anything with a quarterback like that. But watch out for them Tennessee boys, man. And I will say that shout-out to them Tennessee boys. Junies last week, they was nice. Don't like to give credit, but, you know, but when they earn it, I'm going to go out there and give it to them. But BJ could be a, could be a better game uh, than, we, than, we, than we figured to be, especially if that Tennessee defense you know, can uh, get a couple of stops and uh, probably uh, get a couple of turnovers to get Matt Corral and company. Yeah, again, BJ, is this a who-has-the-ball-last-type uh, ball game like we've seen Ole Miss and Arkansas go back and forth and do it? Or is this third, maybe early fourth, somebody kind of takes control of this thing? I think turnovers may decide this game because I don't know that you're going to see a ton of true defensive stops just given the dynamic nature of both of the offenses. And you have versatile playmakers as well at quarterback. Remember that. Uh, uh, Matt Corral and Hendon Hooker are tremendous at throwing the ball downfield. They can also get first down scrambling and running. Matt Corral has eight rushing touchdowns. That's one off the national lead. So you think about Matt Corral as being a guy that drops back and throws it 40 times a game. He has one fewer rushing touchdown than the leader in college football does. So especially in the red zone, they utilize his mobility. Uh, I think if you have uh, an interception, maybe an untimely interception, a fumble, a special teams mistake, that's where this game may be decided because the two offenses are playing with such confidence, such chemistry, uh, the momentum that they have, the energy that they have. Ole Miss, when they step on the field, they're scoring a touchdown. They believe that. And I don't know that that was the case right away for Tennessee, but now that you've had a couple of showcase games and you've really gotten the rhythm down of trying to run 85, 90 plays a game, I think Tennessee feels the same way. I think they expect to score a touchdown when they step on the field. So in games like this, you know, you think about like an Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, you see every year where it's 50 to 45. It's often a turnover or a special teams play more so than a series of defensive stops that makes the difference. Give a listen. Give Coach Heibel a lot of credit as well. I mean, bringing whenever you're trying to bring in a certain philosophy and a certain type of offense in a, in a league that doesn't that, that typically it doesn't go well because you know bigger, faster, stronger, what may have you in the SEC. I mean, when it starts working, that's when the, the buy-in only happens when you are when you are winning games, not because you are competing hard, not because you, you know you are out there being you know playing better. You have in the past when we are putting wins, you know, uh, you know, on the board, and you see the last couple of weeks what they've been able to do. Kenyon Hooker it seems to have bought into what Coach Hobble is doing. It's, it's very easy to buy in when you are the starter, by the way, because you feel as though you you the best player uh, to go out there and lead this team, but. 
I, I, I just think that, you know, we kept saying, like, who's going to be the guy for the job, the head coaching job, you know, head coach at Tennessee. Now, so far, so good with Coach Hyper. We'll see, like, down the line. Tennessee will never, ever get back to what, they, what they've been. But, BJ, what would it do for this program if the old ball, if, if their old coach, you know, is in the house and you, and you beat them head-to-head with, with, obviously, you having a better team, maybe, obviously, the better offense, the better quarterback, because it's about, it's about having things to build on for the rest of the season. And if Ole Miss can take an L to them Tennessee boys in a year that Tennessee was going to be, you know, uh, trying, to, trying to figure out where they even going to make six wins, that's got to be very, very impressive and definitely a momentum shift. Uh, for a Tennessee Vol team that's still rebuilding. Well, if you want to talk about the ceiling for both of these teams, and I think the winner here will have a chance to do some pretty significant things. If Tennessee wins, I think it's a national springboard. Because you think about their big performances uh, against South Carolina and Missouri. That's incredible progress for Tennessee. But that's not really going to get on the national radar, right? Because those aren't the leading names in the conference. If you beat a top 25 team, a ranked team with a Heisman Trophy candidate, all of a sudden people all around college football are talking about Tennessee and the obvious storyline that you beat Lane Kiffin on his return. I think you're talking about that mattering for recruiting, that mattering for the perception and brand of your program, and the confidence of that roster. Now, Here's something interesting, Kevin, and, and I think Cam mentioned this the other day. If Ole Miss wins, keep in mind they've already played Alabama, and they lost, but they've already played Alabama, LSU doesn't necessarily look like it's going to be the toughest game ever. We'll see about Texas A&M. But is there a possibility Ole Miss could, could go through this thing with one loss? And they would not, if that were to happen, make the SEC championship game. But if Ole Miss, and I, and I know we're a long way from it, but if Ole Miss is 11-1 and at the end of the regular season, do they have an argument coming out of the SEC West with their only loss being at Alabama for getting – getting a bid into the college football playoff. <sighs> man, we are, I mean. Probably man, not oh, if, oh. If, if if Cincinnati's still there and the Big Ten's got, I mean, I, unfortunately, but I mean, you can't just put everybody in there, but that would be a compelling argument, BJ. I mean, I'm just Sorry. saying, like, no, I'm, I'm just, listen, we, we, are, we are the king of scenarios on this show. I mean, BJ, the one, the one thing about it is this. I mean, who, what, what's, what's the more impressive resume? Ole Miss has one loss on the season, or Kentucky has one loss on the season? I think it would be Ole Miss because they're coming out of the SEC West. Yeah, but at the same time, Ole Miss has a better quarterback, and coming into the season, they were saying, you know, what type of passing game would uh, – would, uh, I mean, the fact, that, the fact that you got the number one receiver and it's not on Ole Miss's team, it's on Kentucky, that's got to be something, but – Hey, I'm just saying, this is why this is why we watch, this is why we root. I mean, I do think that uh, Lane Kiffin is doing an incredible job. But Lane Kiffin's offense is good when he have a dynamic quarterback and he has that in Matt Corral. But I don't know, BJ. I mean, is the SEC West what it's stacked up to be in 2021 compared to years before? No, I think that's fair. I mean, I think it's fair to ask the question, is the SEC West what it was maybe a couple of years ago at its peak? But I also – I also think if that's the standard, if the SEC West from a couple of years ago is the standard, well, the current SEC East is 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 far and away from that. So, uh, interesting game. I do think whoever wins this game Saturday night will have a real chance to do some special things. Maybe that's a New Year's Six Bowl for Ole Miss. Maybe that's a nine-win season for Tennessee, potentially. And uh, could Tennessee turn that into momentum on a macro scale where – they're maybe pick 
second or third in the SEC East next year. Big game Saturday night, and it's amazing so many storylines, Kevin. Many people aren't even talking about Kiffin's return to Knoxville. Yeah, no no doubt. That's going to be interesting to see how he's received by the Tennessee fans uh, there as well. Quickly, though, before we step aside, did get a comment uh, coming out of uh, Take 3, Wonder Let. You address specifically, BJ, because I feel like it applies to you. Stephen Kicklider saying, you know, when do you get cold? He said the better question, especially along the coach, would be at what temperature do the flip-flops get shelved up for the tennis shoes because the, the feet yeah. start getting cold? Well, there's a, there's a way around that, and I actually am doing it now. You go socks with No, sandals. that's not a good what? look. That's what? Not a good Who am I trying to impress? I want my feet to be comfortable. My feet enjoy socks. I also like having the – toe flexibility that comes with sandals i don't like for my toes to be restricted i can't move them i want to have you know some 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 mobility at the end of my foot with my with my toes and i also want to feel a little warmth with the socks it's the best of both worlds i'm look listen it's not BJ, a good look bj walk around with the socks on and the flip-flops and looking at you like let's go ahead and say something i ain't gonna say nothing i mean you are both hot and cold at the same time he is lukewarm bj bennett that's what he does. It's not a good look for who. I I, I, I want to wear them for me. Ricky Waters, for who? For what? For us. <laughs> right now. <laughs> he said you look like a socks with sandals kind of guy. <laughs> I, well, I, I don't look like it. I am. I Well, I there am. you go. There you go. We've got more to come here on uh, 3 and Out. Uh, stick with us. A lot more to get to. We'll have our picks. Sure to go wrong. Uh, coming up in the final hour of the program as well. Really looking forward to that. We couldn't be any worse than what we ended up being last week, fellas, because it just was not good at all. Just at all. All the way across the board, hitting those spreads. Three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. In case you don't know. Uh, it, it's really quite remarkable, and it's it's mostly because of the last two games here. Um that Florida game, getting that monkey off our back, uh, beating Florida uh, here in Lexington, which hadn't happened in a very long time. And then the LSU game, everybody was afraid of a letdown. Uh, and LSU is not the LSU we know, but they're still LSU with a ton of really talented football players. And for us to dominate them, and we dominated them the way that we did, it's just the excitement about the football team is I've been here 12, going on 13 years, and I've, I haven't seen anything like it. Now, having said that, uh, I think, I think this will be a pretty tough game Saturday. <laughs> uh, Matthew, you're talking about a Kentucky team, as you mentioned, that already has a win over Florida head to head. You're right outside the national top 10. If you beat Georgia, you're the clear, obvious front runner in the East. With all that said, is, is, is this the biggest game in recent Kentucky football history? Well, some are calling it the biggest game, period, in Kentucky football history. Not recent, period. Uh, I'm not, I guess arguably you could say that because of the situation uh, and facing Georgia at number one. Uh, obviously, we've played Georgia a lot over the last few years, and they're always great, but you know, it's the first time two 6-0 and teams and a number one have played, I think, uh, maybe in a very long time. And, and so it's, many are considering this the biggest game in Kentucky football history. Yeah. 
And, man, I mean, you know, we I know we're talking about recent history. We're not too many years removed from this same – I mean, this Kentucky team going – Nine to three, Coach Mark Stoops, man. Why don't? Why isn't he talked about? You know, as much as these other coaches. I'm not saying he's Nick Saban. He don't have to be. I'm not saying he's Kirby Smart. Don't have to be. But just talk about what he's done for a Kentucky program that is still trying to get out of this with just a basketball school. Well, it's a great question, and the thing is, it's starting to happen now. But it took this six and zero start uh, to do it, and beating Florida and LSU in back to back weeks. The amazing thing is uh, he has said all along, and there were a couple of very rough seasons at the start when he was hired, uh, he always talked about the need for patience because any program you know, you've got to develop talent over a period of years, but especially in the SEC, you can have really good players starting for you. But you're playing Alabama and Georgia and LSU, and their third lines are five-star guys. And so working towards that has been the difference. They, and the other thing is that Mitch Barnhart, the athletic director, and Eli Capaluto, the president, they have given him the time that he said he needed to develop this. And I think now, especially the last couple of weeks, you're seeing all kinds of national stories about, you know, schools going after Coach Stoops and all kinds of things like that. I think uh, I'm really happy because he's a wonderful man. He's a really terrific football coach. Uh, And I know everybody here at Kentucky, even though it didn't start out this way, now is very grateful uh, that he's the head football coach here. Matthew Lawrence joining us here at ESPN Radio Lexington. And, uh, and Matthew, I guess if we all had the answer to this, we'd all be getting paid millions of dollars to stand on the sidelines. But how do you score on Georgia if you're Kentucky? Well, I was hoping you guys could tell me uh, so that I could relay that to my friends inside the football program. I mean, I, I have said all year, I've seen a couple of Georgia's games. They're an NFL defense. I mean, it's not even fair. Uh, the statistics, I know, uh, you know, we thought it was good that uh, our defense has been really good. And we have some really talented players. And we had 23 quarterback hurries. And we thought that was pretty good until we saw that Georgia had 109. I mean, it's a different, you know, it's a real different story here. Uh, luckily, the last game we played, against uh, LSU. Offensively, we finally put a lot of things together. And uh, you're going to have to play a absolutely perfect game against Georgia. You're going to hope that there are some mistakes made, although we haven't seen any really made by that Georgia defense. And Liam Cohn, the new offensive coordinator who came from the NFL, uh, Sean McVay, disciple worked with him for the last three years he he has really done wonders with just play calling with switching things up and different schemes and now of course you can do that and still get hit with an eight-yard loss because Georgia's defense is so good we can't turn the ball over on offense we can't give Georgia extra possessions and we're going to have to play an, a perfect game I think to have any chance to win this game the uh, the line 22 and a half uh the line in this game uh, how do you view that going into a game where again you're a top 11 team in the country and it's 22 and a half 
Well, I think, I mean, obviously we all think that's too much, but that's based on what Georgia has done this year, and it's also based on playing down there between the hedges and 90,000 people. I mean, it's, it would be hard enough if we were playing this game in Kroger Field here in Lexington. But I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the game being at Georgia. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think Georgia, and I've said it all year, is the best team in the country. Even before Alabama lost, I said it. I think that's uh, a lot of people are looking at that, including the odds makers, and going, they know Kentucky has to play a perfect game to have any chance to, to compete in this game. And I guess that's where the line comes from. I stopped betting on sports probably 30 years ago, so I'm not the best one to ask about this. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt, obviously, you know, uh, Kentucky is used to, you know, paying hundreds of thousands of dollars when, uh, you know, they, they upset certain teams and pulling down goalposts. You mentioned this will be the biggest game ever in Kentucky, you know, Wildcat, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the history of Kentucky Wildcat football. But is the world ready for Kentucky to beat number one Georgia? And what does the narrative, you know, coming out of the game uh, be if we say, hey, man, the Kentucky Wildcats beat Georgia, and we're talking about the football team, not the <laughs> basketball team. Well, this, this is what I mean. This is what's so funny. I'm on the air every day here, and last two days we kept talking about Big Blue Madness being Friday night. Nobody's talking about it. If somehow Kentucky were able to win this game, I, I don't think any, any buildings would be left standing in downtown Lexington. <laughs> I mean, it's, it would be... Uh, this truly we hear in sports a lot, you know, when teams kind of with false bravado say we're going to shock the world. This would shock the world if Kentucky somehow won this football game. And then uh, we got a pretty good basketball team this year. Then look out. This, uh, Kentucky hate would be at an all-time high. <laughs> Matthew Lawrence, our guest here on Three Dot. Matthew, I wanted to ask you about your acting career, but we got like a minute left, so I feel like I would short. Okay. I feel like we would shortchange you. But uh, what's more fun, uh, doing the sports radio gig or uh, making sure uh, you know David and Donna stayed out of trouble uh, back in the nineties on nine hundred two one zero? Well, uh, they're they're kind of completely different, <laughs> as I'm sure you can imagine. Oh, sure. But I've been very blessed to be able to have two careers where I got to do. You know, not many people have had a successful acting career and then covered, you know, Kentucky basketball for 12 years. Sports has always been my first love. And sometime I'll come back on the show anytime you want and we can talk more about the acting stuff. Oh, absolutely. We'd love to have you back on. Matthew, appreciate the time. We're up against it. Thanks so much and uh, enjoy the game this weekend. We appreciate it. Thanks, man. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Matthew Lawrence, our guest here on 3 and Out. We're coming back. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live as well, ESPNCoastal.com. Really cool and uh, completely free. So bring your friends, bring your family. Uh, the Westin, of course, a great location right there by the ocean and a chance to celebrate Florida, Georgia. Now, there will be some trash talking, too. I, I love how at first it's, oh, man, the game's great. So much to be and, – and then it moves into – well, you guys did beat us, but – and then it goes back. So, it's a lot of fun. My question, though, and, Kevin, I know you're thinking this as well, is there going to be a, like a post-event a post three-on-three flag football tournament? You could be all-time quarterback. 
Uh, no, BJ, that would be you as an all-time quarterback because the one thing BJ hates more than anything else, that is even teams. I want them uneven, so I do not have to play defense. No, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm not going out there because one, it's going to be a bunch of eh, oh, <laughs> no, I want guys to be able to come back. I don't want to be, I don't want guys saying, look, man, I want to come back to your event, man, but I'm still dealing with this torn oblique that I have when I tried to lay out. So, no, I, I think I just showing up. I mean, I'm going to do my best. Listen, it's one rule when you're there. Carlos Alvarez says call him. Carlos, do not call him Mr. Alvarez. I have been told this, so I'm going to have to make sure to put out a memo to everybody that's coming, even the fans. You call him Carlos, not Mr. Alvarez. BJ, I think he was talking to you because if you go Mr. Alvarez and he goes mute, it's because he wants to be called Carlos, not Mr. That has been told to me. But, no, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. I'm, this is my way of saying thank you to the guys that came uh, came through this game. I could care less how many catches of yards or touchdowns or tackles that you had. You, you, you made an impact in this game, on this game. So I'm, this is my way as a former player in this game to pay homage to the guys that paved the way for me, both past and present. So looking forward to it. Should be a lot of fun. Hopefully some healthy banter back and forth. And, hey, man, as it gets darker, and, you know, and the lick of courage starts getting a little bit more <laughs> filled up, uh, maybe the uh, maybe the enthusiasm energy should change. But, hey, the fact that these guys are coming, the fact that we're going <clears> to <throat> put it on for the third annual third year, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Absolutely. And, again, we encourage you to come out absolutely free to come out and just enjoy yourself and have a good time uh, and and reminisce on some stories from the uh, the, the Georgia and Florida football game there. And, uh, Ben, I know you played in it, obviously, but uh, from the last t- couple times you've done this, you said, look, I've just learned so much about other guys and their stories uh, from when they played in the game uh, because most guys get four shots at it. Maybe you get a fifth, but most likely you were standing on the sideline uh, for that fifth one uh, at some point if you were a redshirt or what have you. You only get four cracks of this thing, and uh, it's a special thing for, for everybody that's been involved. So keep it on the calendar. Friday before the game, uh, the 29th there at the Weston on Jekyll, uh, the Georgia Florida Legends Series, third annual. Come out and have a good time with us there uh, outside on the ocean side of the Weston. Going to be a lot of fun. We've got more to come here on this Friday. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.